Hey everybody, this is the broader interview that I did with Drake Reed about his amazing journey to find his roots in Mali. It has been lightly edited just to make things a little bit cleaner, but other than that, I think you guys should give this a listen. It's a really great story, it provides a lot of context to what appeared on letsgop.com today. I hope you enjoy it. What made you decide to trace your heritage in the first place? Well, before I get into that, um, I first have to thank my ancestors for allowing me to be here and to have this this company. And uh, I want to also thank your ancestors as well as those who will be uh, watching and, and uh, listening to this interview for joining us in this exchange. But go ahead. What was your question again? Uh, what made you decide to trace your heritage? Well, I was in France and amongst other places after playing in Australia my first year. Um, and I came to France in uh, particular of all the countries I played in, that was where the majority of my teammates are from, uh, born in Africa. So naturally they had a lot of questions for me uh, as I'm an American and I had a lot of questions for them because they're from Africa and I knew very little about it. Um, and over time, uh, communicating with them and working with those guys every day, as well as living in other countries, I just was in a bad situation to not know uh, my origin. They would ask me very profound questions like, why do you say you're African-American instead of identifying with your uh, with your home country like we do? Um, they would ask questions about slavery and racism, and a lot of them really didn't know to the level that we know in the States. And I just was totally uh, shocked and confused about a lot of things. And as time went on, you know, I, I was like, man, I have to figure out where I'm from because everybody outside of our country knows where they're from down to the, the city, the country, the village, things of that nature. No matter their no matter their race, and I said, "Well, I, I have to figure out where I'm from." So that uh, over the over the course of time, you know, I, that propelled me into moving in that direction. This isn't something you can dabble in either. Like if you're going to commit yourself, you got to really commit. Cause it's time. It's you know things change. You know people people who may hold some of this history in the village that you've got a journey to, they're getting older. You got to you got to be there. You got to you got to see them before they pass on. Definitely. I mean, you have to get your hands dirty, um, but there, there are ways to, to uh, the best thing to do is to talk to elders, of course, because they're going to retain more inf information than anybody. But with the technology and travel and different things that are available now, more so than maybe in the past, uh, you can get to things a lot easier than before. And as long as you're able to find certain information and have an idea of, of the location, you can, you can figure out many of the things that have been missing. Going into this, you know this country's history. Were you nervous about what you'd find delving into your past? No, no, I wasn't nervous at all. Um, I think mostly because of my travels. I've lived in third world countries, second world countries, and of course, first world countries. And every country offers something uh, unique and different. I've seen the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. So when it was time for me to look into my own background, everything that I was getting from my teammates of African origins was very powerful. You know, it was kings, queens, warriors, and things of that nature. And for me, I understood, I understand what our country has, has, uh, has done to people, uh, done to uh, people of African descent and indigenous descent. And so I already was used to hearing those things. You know, I remember being 10 years old in class and we were taught about everyone else's culture and how great they were. And they started us off with slavery and how that made me feel at 10 years old. So I don't think there was pretty much, uh, much lower than I could feel in that very moment, um, but that that didn't really block me because, I, I like I said, I've seen the world 
And for me, it's like, I need to know. I need to know who I am. I need to know what I, what's inside of me, what, what I'm capable of. I need to know all the good, the bad, and the majority of it is very powerfully, uh, powerfully good. The, that 10-year-old feeling, the way that it's presented, the way your heritage and ancestry is presented, that's something I've never even considered before, but like, it's the way we teach our history is almost black people started as slaves and there's nothing prior to that. That's incorrect, but also it puts really negative and kind of a, a bad light on people who want to, who want to research their history. How can we be better about that? Well, I think the main thing is to, um, first of all, open the door for people to, to know more about themselves. That is, that is one of the major hurdles uh, with people looking into their ancestry is they think about the negative because that's all we've been taught. It's, it's reinforced on television, it's reinforced on radio and in movies and things. But everything that I get, I get beyond that is powerful. You know, to know my ancestral name prior to, prior to slavery and know what our family name means and where it comes from uh, is it, just, it's magnificent. And there's nothing uh, that can make me feel negative about where I'm from, my origins on any level. Um, I have indigenous ancestry as well. Uh, and it is, it's really a shame to have our, uh, to, to be taught from a very early age um, that our history begins with slavery and Indian removal, because that is totally just not true. You know, those are chapters in a very long book. Your teammates and friends that you've alluded to who kind of introduced you to this this other way of thinking, really. How influential were they in terms of kind of pushing you into, hey, this is something you found out about can kind of help you complete your, your view of self? Well, none of them directly uh, pushed me to, to look into my ancestry. I was just observing and people observing how they conduct themselves, how they treat one another, how they handle uh, conflicts and, and resolution. Uh, it just was totally different than anything I'd ever seen. And, you know, most guys have never been in a fight that are from, uh, that are from Africa that I know. Excuse me, uh, everything is just, it's just much more, excuse me, um, just the traditions and the culture and, and the different holidays and different, uh, different foods and music. Everything is like, it, it, strike, it struck chords with me on every level. And so um, they were just being themselves. And that's what, that's what, what drew me in, them just being themselves. I heard in one of the videos I watched you describing trying to, dis trying to explain racism in America to your teammates who didn't have a background in it. Were you surprised that the racism that you faced and the black people in America faced is a, a different, it's just kind of a foreign concept to some of your teammates? Yeah, it, it blew me away because you're talking about guys that were basically uh, very dark skinned and, uh, and would have been, you know, violated at some point in their life or treated badly at some point in their life growing up in the States. So I just was totally blown back, you know, that, uh, that, most of, that a lot of those guys don't know, uh, either they don't know or they don't know to the level that we understand uh, but they experienced colonization, which was uh, which wasn't you know a cakewalk either. But it's, it was it's a different concept. Um, the main thing that's different outside of the U.S. and it doesn't matter which country because I've lived on every continent. Racism is more nation based than color based. 
So somebody might might not like you like you because you're from a different country, not necessarily because of this color of your skin. But once you get into that country, then you do have those subdivisions to where um, to where your 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 uh, your color matters more. But it's not to the same magnitude as um, as the states, depending on where you live. Some places are is very very rough. Some places can be worse, and other places can be be lighter. It just depends on the country. Be, be being called by the country, not the continent. When you started hearing that, when people started describing themselves as Nigerian, not African, in in watching some of the other things that you've done, it seemed like that brought a change in you, kind of shifted a perception in your thinking of self. Is that the case? Yeah. Yes, because they, they identify with their location. So it's like we don't say we're North American. You know, we say we're American. And then inside of America, you know, are you from Florida? Are you from California? Are you from New York? Are you from Missouri? You know, so um, once I started thinking of it that way, it's like, wait a minute, I need to know exactly uh, where my ancestors are from, because that is where home is. That's where home truly is. You're a there are 54 countries in Africa. So there's a lot of different places that it's different realities for everybody. So for me, it was like, okay, everyone else knows where they're from. I need to figure out where I'm from. You told a story about the, the Thomas, Annie, and the slave owner. Mm -hmm. Could you tell that story again? Because I want to make sure I have it correct. And it was a very, very powerful story, I felt like. Okay. So the first four ancestors of mine that are, that are from Mali, um, they, they, um, they're from Kai, Mali. Kai spelled K-A-Y-E-S, okay? And the first two were, uh, were taken in 1855 and they were sent up the Senegal River. Their names were Thomas and Annie Word. Now, Annie's, Annie's last name was Keita, Ke, I mean, uh, K-E-I-T-A. And so Thomas and Annie Word were actually together. Um, they were younger, but they were together and they were uh, taken uh, taken captive in 1855, sent up the Senegal River to St. Louis, Senegal. And St. Louis, Senegal was the major, uh, one of the major uh, trading posts at that particular time. And then they were shipped from uh, St. Louis, Senegal to Havana, Cuba. And in Havana, Cuba, those two were sold separately. So Annie was sold to New Orleans. And then in New Orleans, she was held in a, um, in a holding, in, in a slave pen in the French Quarter and then she was sold to a, a plantation north of New Orleans. And then somehow she escaped up the Mississippi River to West Helena, Arkansas. Now, the man that she was with, his name was Thomas Word. He was sold in Havana, Cuba to Galveston, Texas. In some way, shape or form, he was sold to a family in West Helena, Arkansas. And in West Helena, Arkansas, those two at some point must have figured out their whereabouts and then got back together. And when they got back together, Thomas, the slave owner, was very sick. He was very ill. He was, he was nearly uh, about to die. But in Africa, in, in Mali, Annie remembered how to heal people using, uh, using natural medicines because that's really big in Africa. And they made a deal with the slave owner. And they said, um, if, you allow us to, if, if you allow us to be married, because the slave owner did not let any of his slaves be married because he didn't like the emotional attachment when he had to sell different people. And so... Um, and so, so Thomas and Annie made a deal with the slave owner and they said, if you allow us to be married, we will heal you. Okay. And so the slave owner agreed. 
And once he came into uh once he once he recovered, he kept his word and allowed them to be married. And then at that moment, my uh, my ancestors Thomas and Annie changed their last name to Word because the slave the slave master kept his word and allowed them to be married. And that is the origin story of our family and this country. Describe the 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 initial journey to Africa because it it seems like it was a very soul-searching, seek-and-find process that yielded a lot of positive results for you personally? Well, an ancestral journey is powerful in every way, on every level. And it doesn't matter where you're from, who you are. When you start looking into the past, you're really looking into the present because your DNA uh, is, it, 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 uh, it is complete with everyone who's lived before you because all of their DNA is inside of you. So as you get closer and you and you research more and more, you get different hunches and all sorts of things begin to open up. They were already there. They would just lie dormant. So as I got closer to my trip, the most profound thing that happened prior to my first trip to Mali was I was in a uh, I was I said a prayer one evening and I and um, and I said this prayer to my ancestors because as I did more and more research, everything about um, Africa and ancestors dealt with the first level of spirituality in Africa, which is paying homage to your ancestors. It's not ancestral worship, it's just paying homage, being respectful that, uh, being respectful of your of your mother who passed away or your grandmother who passed away or your great-great-grandfather who passed away, being respectful and acknowledging their existence, okay? So as I began to read and research more, I said, all right, let me put this to the test because I took a DNA test and it said that we we're Mandinkas because I've been traveling all over the world and I was in France more so than anywhere else. My mother kept saying, why do you why do you think you keep going to France more so than other places? And so I was like, you know, I think this is just because of basketball. Maybe it's the best market for me. And she said, no, something something deep is going on because how you keep going back to France, it, that's just not normal. OK, you need to pay attention. So as time went on, I finally took a DNA test and it said what my dinkers on my mother's side. So I started looking up the, the Mandinkas and, and reading the histories. And a lot of the, the names of the leaders and the kings and the warriors um, had the same names of my teammates in France. So I was like, wow. You know, so I called up my teammates like, hey, do you know these people? You know, you know Sajada Kita and Mansa Musa and, and, uh, and Abubakar Kita the second. And it was like, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're descendants. How do you know? How do you know these people? And that's like, wow. Here I am every day for years, you know, practicing, playing with and against guys that are my brothers. I don't know who they are. They don't know who I am. We don't know we're the same people. And so that to me explained why I needed to be in France more so than other places. But I'll fast forward to the trip. So about a month before I go to Mali the first time, I'm in a shop and uh, I, say, I say a prayer to my ancestors. And to my ancestors that I'm in Dinkas, that are from the Senegal and Mali area. Let me know if the, if the information that I have is true and if I truly need to go to West Africa at the end of the season. So about a week later, I was in Paris in an area called Chaclay, and I walk into this African store. And it's a typical African store with all the traditional garbs and uh, different portraits of ancestors, um, you know, everyone from Nelson Mandela, Stephen Biko, uh, King Tut, you know, all of the, all the pharaohs and different prominent leaders from around the world. And this was my first time being in a store like this, and I knew what I was looking at. I knew all of the statues. I knew all of the, the, uh, the ancestors because I had been studying and so I'm talking to the owner of the store about it. I said, man, you guys have all our history in here. 
And he said, uh, he said, yeah, you know, I'm surprised that young brother from the States knows about all this because most of you guys, when you come in here, you don't know. And I said, uh, well, you know, that that's, uh, that's true because in the States, you know, we're not really taught anything uh, much about Africa in schools, you know, unless your family knows you pretty much uh, are left out. But I've been in France for the last four or five years. Most of my friends are from Africa. I picked up on the culture and I plan on going for, uh, to West Africa for the first time uh, next month. And he said, uh, and as I was talking, you know, uh, he has, I noticed he has a large wall in the back of his store filled with ancestors, filled with portraits of all these pharaohs and queens and kings and, and uh, deities and things. And, uh, and as I'm talking, he cuts me off. He says, when you go to Africa, it's going to be a powerful experience. But don't think it's by chance you came here today. And he raised his right arm towards the back wall and he said, the ancestors sent you an invitation. And so this was the first time I had ever, you know, said a prayer to my ancestors and get this and get a response. And just a few minutes later, I'm in the same store and there's a man who walks into the store. I'm buying I'm buying this book about Sanjata Kita, who's who's the Lion King. The movie The Lion King is based off Sanjata Kita's life. OK, so I'm buying this book and this man walks in and starts talking to the owner of the store. Then the owner of the store looks at me and says, hey, this is the guy. This is the author of the book that you're about to buy. He's going to sign it for you. He's a Mandinka. And I was like, wow, you know, so that was my first experience calling on the ancestors. So the, at the end of the month, I knew for sure I was going to go. I set up my trip, bought everything and, uh, and, and I headed on out there and just everything about the whole trip was magnificent. There were so many confirmations that I was in the right place, um, that I was in the right areas and, uh, and I was with my people and wow, <laughs> it, keeps, it keeps evolving, you know, uh, weekly. I want to talk about the welcome that you received when you arrived in Mali, because I think when I think of how people might be received being long lost relatives here or descendants, we're so cynical as a people, we would just think, oh, they're trying to get something over on me. They're trying, this is, this is a crock of BS. That was not the reception it seemed like you received. Not at all. Um, a lot of people are skeptical about a lot of things, and that's just how we've been brought up and raised, you know. Um, but a lot of that is more of a construct because we're in our country, we pay attention to media and you know, television much more than a lot of other places. Things are much different, you know, on, on uh, from country to country in different continents. So being away from America for a long time, that had that, that naturally made me think different. You know, I was watching different TV shows or I wasn't watching it off. I couldn't understand it. You know, I was <laughs> listening to different type of music uh, and things. And so uh, it, it made me expand my thinking. And the reception that I got from people was, was, uh, was like, you're a long lost relative and you came home. Nobody asked me for anything. Everyone was just welcome, uh, welcoming me with open arms. I felt totally safe. Um, you know, here I was walking in dark alleys at three or four in the morning, having no fear that anything would ever happen to me. Nobody had any negative ill will towards me at all. You know, nobody was, you know, I didn't have to look over my shoulder and worry about who was around me and things like that. And this is what we're missing from our culture. Um, you know, we don't know that these type of places exist, but they do because I've been there and I've been in there, uh, been there many times. 
And so it just forces you to think outside of the box and understand that we come from a peaceful place. We come from a powerful place. Mali literally means the land where kings live. So I come from a place where it's regal. So to grow up my life, you know, grow up the, the majority of my life not knowing that put me at a disadvantage mentally and spiritually. To whereas had I known that from an early age, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that would that could have changed my entire reality. Is there a completeness to it when you start to have those pieces slot into place where things start to make sense and you start to see the clearer picture of your history and your family's history? Do you feel like part of you is becoming a little more whole? Definitely. Um, the healing that knowing who you are does to you and your family members is something that you just can't even explain with enough positive words. I mean, there are things that just mentioning it to some of my family members, it healed them and healed them uh, mentally and spiritually. There's things that um, that as I as I read every sentence, there was different pressures and things being released out of me every sentence I read, because you're replacing all of the garbage, okay, with gems and diamonds and rubies. You're 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 you're, you're getting rid of all of the the negative things and replacing it with the positive aspects of who you are. And it's just, it's something that everyone should experience. Were people, you, you talked about the shop owner and how there's not a lot of seeking sometimes. Were people drawn to you when you were in Mali because you had come on this, for lack of a better term, quest to really learn more? Well, I would, I would, I think some people might be like that, but I think for, for the most part, people are just welcoming. When you come to, uh, when you go visit someone in a foreign country, people are just excited that, you know, to, to welcome you as to host you, you know, we have a guest from another place, but when you're coming, uh, as someone like, like me coming to figure out, I'm going into the villages. I'm not going to go to all the touristy places and just stay at, at the at the best hotels and stuff. No, I'm going into the village. I want to meet the chief. You know, I want to go meet the, the griots and learn the history of the area, and learn the history of my family, locate my, my, my uh, long lost relatives. You know, I'm coming in to really dive in. And when you have that type of mentality, it's even more of an acceptance. The respect level that I get is just, is just, um, something that I will always be, uh, be content with. How many times did you go back before the process, before you started the process of becoming naturalized? <laughs> well, that was interesting because um, the first time I went to Mali, um, I was about 29, I think it was 29. So the first time I went to Mali, you know, I'm getting blown away by all of these experiences, speaking to my chief, you know, going going to meet the chief was just an incredible experience in and of itself because my translator could not, he was translating to him what I was explaining to him, but he wasn't saying it with the passion and the emphasis that needed to be said because the chief is the keeper of the history. He can't just divulge everything to you, okay? So he's feeling me out like, you know, are you just some American guy trying to, you know, come in and, and meet, you know, so um, at this moment, why I needed to be in France came into play. I started to speak fluently in French 
um, to him and explain everything to him that I'm explaining to you, plus a lot of other things that I experienced that led me to be to be there. And eventually he cut me off. He said, all right, say no more. You're one of us. And he started breaking down what happened before, during and after, after slavery, things that I never knew about that I should have known, all the information that I needed to know about myself. He gave that to me at that moment. And that explained to me another reason why I needed to be in France. But, but the last day I was in, uh, I was in Mali. Uh, one of my one of my former teammates hit me up. He, he's of Malian origins. He said, "I want you to meet my coach while you're in Mali." And I said, "Man, you know, I got a lot of things to do. I'm going to the villages. I'm doing this, doing that." And so he got mad, and he, and he said, "Man, just go meet him." So I'm like, "All right, okay." So I go to this hotel restaurant, and and um and I meet this coach, and he just so happens to be a French coach. So he already knew where I was. He knew I could play and everything. And, uh, and then there was a, a man from the from the sports federation who came over, you know, to meet me. And the guy who came from the sports federation was kind of late. And so uh, as I was talking to the French coach, um, this man sprints into the place. And so I'm, I'm from St. Louis. So I'm kind of like, you know, hey, you know, something happening. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then he comes over to me and he's like, oh man, I thought you were going to be gone, you know, before I got here. And I was like, man, something special might happen here, you know. So. Uh, so they're asking me why why I came to to uh, Bamako and and I was explaining you know my ancestors are from here I came to go to the village I've been doing all this research and da 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 da, da. and they're like man uh, you could prove that I was like yeah and uh, and they said uh, you know so we talked a little more and he's like wow we're very impressed that you came this far and uh, and you have a very interesting story and uh, we don't know if you'd be interested um, but we're getting ready to play with the national team we love if you play on the national team with us. And I was like, wow, you know, um, it's like at that moment, if I had any doubt that I was in the right place, the doubt was over. And I told him, uh, I said, how could I say no to that? And this is where my ancestors are from. I'll be honored to. And so right there at that very moment, we started working on the documents, taking the passport photos, you know, writing my petition, you know, to the government to get uh, naturalized and going through all of the nuts and bolts of how generation to generation, you know, different people uh, um, who come from Mali, you know, uh, came to the States and it's like, wow, I could have met anyone, uh, but I met them, you know, and here I am watching them, you know, help me get everything organized and I'm totally in the daze and they look up at me and, they, and, uh, and they're like, what, what's wrong? I said, man, you don't understand. My ancestors were taken from here hundreds of years ago and I've just been here for a few days and I'm about to get it all back. And so these are the sorts of things that happen <laughs> that, that when you're on your ancestral journey, things that you just can't even expect, you know, blessings that come out of nowhere. And that's how I began my naturalization process. Now, it took me a couple of years to get my, get my passport uh, officially because I'm the first American to ever be naturalized in Mali in any of the sports. So uh, I was the first one. That... So you just so happened to meet the two people who could help you the most on that journey. Just luck, basically. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're when you're doing all this, when you're doing the work to learn more about your history and where you're from and your your origins, are you considering the basketball ramifications and that you might one day wear the country name across your chest? No, I, I had no idea that any of this would happen. I mean, it's 
man, it's hard to even talk about it without breaking down, but it, it's like, I went and searched out my ancestral history and I was blessed, you know, by the ancestors and they welcomed me home. And when, when that gave me the uniform, it was, it was one of the most powerful experiences. As far as athletic sports go, as far as sports goes, that was the most powerful experience I've ever had. Because when I got to Afrobasket, when I got to Tunisia, I was supposed to wear a jersey with Reed on the back. You know, I actually asked them to make a jersey with Kita on the back because that's my ancestor's last name as a keepsake. Because the rules say that I'm supposed to play with Reed on the back because my name is Reed on the, all the internet, you know, on the internet and all of the, the books. So as far as rules go, that's what it is. But they made a mistake and gave me the same uniform number as one of my Malian teammates. So they didn't have time to make a new jersey while I was at the, while we were at the tournament. So they had to petition to FIBA to ask to allow them to wear me the jersey with my ancestor's name on the back. So that further confirms that it was meant to be. <laughs> and <laughs> it's what just, a fantastic mistake. It, it's just <laughs> like wow, you know, I got to play a whole tournament with my real last name, you know, the name that was truly, that's truly in our family line. And, you know, wow, there's no words for that. <laughs> the, I mean, you're, you're going so quickly. And I mean, I guess it's quick in terms of me learning the story and listening it, but you go from, I'm American basketball player, Drake Reed, to I am Malian national team basketball player, Drake Keita. And I've got the Mali across the front and the Keita across the back to prove that. That has got to be such a life-changing experience for me. It's something that I'll never forget. I've won championships. I've won a lot of games. I played on in a lot of big big games and tournaments and things. Nothing has ever amounted to anything like to, to this. To know who I am, um, you know, my family name is priceless. When you got to Mali for Afrobasket and you're meeting your teammates and you're working with them, the backgrounds, I mean, you're uh, an American who's played – in Europe for years and years was, was that kind of the, was there plenty of that as far as background of guys getting that high level European experience that you were able to enjoy, or was it kind of a diff, a lot of different tiers of experience for people? Well, mo most of the players uh, have played in Europe or um, some of them played in Asia, Middle East. So mo pretty much 90% of the guys, there are professional, professional players. So I knew a lot of guys anyway because of playing in France and a, a good portion of the players play in France. And I've also played in North Africa and in, a, in the Middle East a little bit. So I've, I've, uh, I know some guys from there as well. So it wasn't like I was amongst, you know, strangers. The main difference is there are other Americans that have played in Afrobasket, but they're typically guys that um, they didn't do the genealogy work. Maybe they're grandparent or somebody that they uh that they grew up with is from africa but i'm the first player who uh, to my knowledge that has proven you know from seven generations back um through genealogy work because they don't just give you a passport you have to show them the legitimacy of it um i'm the first one to do that 
So it was really, you know, it, it really struck a lot of people when they saw that uh, my last name is Kita because they never saw anything like that come from a, from an American. And so uh, a lot of guys thought it was funny at first. I was like joking. I was like, no, this is really my ancestor's name. And then um, your respect level was just, it went up from there. The game itself, I mean, across the globe, it's a ball, a couple hoops, 10 guys. But at the same time, just the, the highlights and things that I watched, the the crowd atmosphere, it hits different than, than it does stateside. The, the whole thing, like it's basketball, but it's basketball that has this sort of intimacy that I don't think we appreciate as much in America. Talk, just talk about the experience of the games. Well, um, I think the the big thing about overseas ball is the intensity amongst the fans can be is a lot higher because a lot of the uh, some of the players on the team have played have grew up there and stayed with that team you know their whole career. So you have that and that hometown feeling like you have at a high school game to where this is our neighborhood. That is that is entirely there. So um, you're playing against crosstown rivals. You're playing against people that are in your region, maybe three or four hours away or two hours away. And then, of course, you play other guys that are much further away and, uh, you know, in other countries are, or um, in other parts of the country that are far. But those, um, for instance, if I play against, if we play against a team that's two hours away, it'll be like a derby. So everyone from those two towns is coming in. It's crazy. Uh, they have horns and, and um, some sometimes like you play places, they'll have flares. Some places, the rivalries are so intense, they'll have dugouts over the bench because people are spitting at you and throwing coins and things. <laughs> this is a basketball arena, right? Yeah, yeah. You might you might be running down the court and see a coin fly in front of your face. Um, you know, anything. <laughs> people, uh, I was in Italy once and, and uh, they threw a bunch of stuffed animals on the floor when you're going when I was going up for a layup. <laughs> you might see anything. So um the rivalries are totally intense. They're totally intense. If you are on cheering for the wrong team and, and the wrong night, you're gonna get beat up by the fans. It's it's way different. So it's just um man, the pride amongst uh the pride that you the pride amongst the, the, the community is is just it's incredible. You've really been bitten by the bug now as far as doing this research, forming, formulating a clear picture all the time about your heritage and your history, and you're helping other people do the same thing now, right? Yeah. So, yeah, my company is Sankofa Global Exchange. Sankofa is a word coming from the Akan people of Ghana, and that literally means to go back and acquire, or go back and get it, go back and fetch it. So that's what we're doing. We're going back to acquire, you know, this information. And if you look at the Sankofa bird, it's always reaching back for an egg and the egg represents knowledge. So we're going back to get your knowledge, your family ancestral knowledge. And uh, global represents the people. So global, uh, you know, we're of African descent, we're all over the place, we populated the world. So we're representing the global people and, and the exchange is the exchange, uh, is the reciprocal nature of our ancestors. So if you go far back in anyone's ancestral history, everything is I do for you, you do for me, and vice versa. So you put that all together, you have Sankofa Global Exchange, and we specialize in indigenous and, and, uh, and African ancestry. 
Um, those are the those are the areas we specialize in. But we have classes where we teach people how to uh, how to do the work themselves. We have hourly services and, and a full uh, genealogy service where we do the work for you. We have consultations as well as uh, and our classes are all virtual as well, and um, as well as virtual family gatherings. So if you're having a family reunion or or you're having a birthday party or you're together for the holidays, we'll come in virtually. Um, and, and, uh, and teach you all how to get your genealogy done. That just, that's the sort of thing that I, it's the sort of product that I think a lot of people wouldn't even know they needed until they realized they needed it. And being able to provide that on the front end, that's a service that is, I mean, it's valuable once you start looking for it because a lot of people wouldn't know where to begin. Right, right. That, that's one of the things a lot of people don't know where to begin. We, we have a formula a uh, good system that is very beneficial, very helpful to a lot of people. And it'll take you from uh, point A to point B. Um, we've had, we found people's villages prior to slavery. We have, uh, we've located, uh, you know, all, course, all sorts of uh, twists and turns and help people break through brick walls. But uh, there's so many things, so many benefits to knowing your ancestry. And it's not, a lot of it's mental, a lot of it's spiritual, a lot of it's healing. Um, because there's been a lot of generational trauma and, and things that have happened to people. There's a lot of healing. Um, there's also other, um, there are also some people that find financial uh, inheritances that they didn't know were there. There's people that have found land that they didn't know was there and recaptured the land. So, um, you know, your grandparents or your great, great, somebody could have uh, left you a lot of things, but until you look into it, it might be sitting in a box somewhere in the garage that you didn't even think about. <laughs> but you came to the genealogy class, we told you to look, and there it is. <laughs> so what's next for you in terms of elevating Sankofa and kind of your, your path and your journey as well? Well, so I'm still playing, so I'm st I have to finish up my basketball career. But, um, you know, I'm doing genealogy. And, uh, and genealogy is a, is a big portion of that, running my company and uh, helping as many people find an ancestral uh, family history as possible. The basketball career, you're 34, right? Yep. So how much longer are you going to, I mean, you still play at a high level. You're still, I mean, I get the Eurobasket updates pretty regularly. When you're playing, you're pretty good. How much longer are you going to do it? Once my body tells me no, then that's when that's when the show's over. <laughs> that's fair enough. That is fair enough. Uh, well, Drake, man, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate this. This has been just learning about this. This has been such a cool story. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. Yes, sir.